Well, good morning, Bottle Ground. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms, Psalm 20. We're going to spend a few weeks looking at some of the Psalms that we missed a, a while back. We want to get that, get these, and the Lord knows what He's doing this morning as He's brought us to uh, Psalm 20. And so if you've got your Bibles, I hope you've got your notes. As Micah has directed you to our website, it has everything you need on it. I hope you have those notes before you. Let's read this wonderful psalm, this royal psalm this morning. This is a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offsprings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill your petitions. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you today with our Bibles open in our own Bibles, and Lord, they all look different. As they look different in David's life at different times in his life, they look different in ours, and we've all been fighting a battle, and sometimes on many fronts. And, and so, Lord, we come to you as your people called by your name with the risen king. And so we settle ourselves today. We orient ourselves not only towards the battle, but more importantly, on our king. Speak to us today through this wonderful, encouraging, and challenging psalm. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this is a royal psalm. It's inseparable with the surrounding context. Remember, we've, it's been a while since we've been in this book, and so we have to recalibrate our mind. We've been looking at Paul and his letters. This is not a letter written to the church. This is the psalm book of the people of God, a, a psalm that was written by David. This is poetry. This is a psalm that was written both to for a people to sing and for a king to proclaim. You see, the, Lord, the Lord's people trusted the king. The king represented the people. Another part of this, he also represented God before the people. But he represented the people. One commentator put, commentator put it like this. In one man, the whole people see themselves and their national life sustained. They depended on the king. They trusted in the king. And practically whatever happened to the king happens to the people. We don't have kings today, but we have a, a government. And, 
And so it's important to get ourselves. There is a context for this psalm. There was a real battle to fight. There was a real enemy. The enemy was ready. The enemy was coming. The war was inevitable, possibly as if you know history and even now. When the enemy comes, they, they begin with the villages. They begin to attack them and loot them and hurt the king's people that's out in the countryside. Possibly this had already began. And so the king readies for battle. He, he gets his men armed. He gets his chariots ready. He makes his battle plans. The captains and the men and his troops are ready for battle. And the king and his people pray. So you, you might read it this way. All this is before him. The battle is coming. It's already here. And the king and his people pray? How do you read that? How would you say that this morning? You see, Psalms 20 is a prayer of preparation and confidence before the battle. And then when we get next week, Psalms 21, it's a prayer of praise and victory after the battle. These are inseparable. And how about us this morning? What kind of battle are we in? Are we aware of it? We've been talking about week after week about mission and ministry, uh, trying to help orient you toward a battle oftentimes that we are even unaware of. The gathering of the souls of men and the, the work, the labor of love to see all of us conformed to the image of Christ. This is our battlefield. It's in our homes, it's in our workplaces, it's in God's church, it's in this world. Are you prepared? Where is your confidence for the battle? That's our question today. Matter of fact, that's our main idea. The people of the Lord are prepared and deployed for battle. This is important through their prayer-filled dependence on the Lord. There's a preparation. There's a deployment. There is a battle. And what we need are his instruments of prayer and faith. We are prepared through prayer. We are deployed in confidence for the battle, knowing this. We're going to say this many times. The battle is the Lord's. And so let's look at our first point. The people of the Lord are prepared for battle through prayer. Now to understand this a little bit, if you've been around the church for years as I have, you may remember and, and maybe there are churches that are still doing this. I'm not sure. Uh, do you remember responsive readings? It, it is when the worship pastor or the music director, they used to call them back, back in the day, may still call, some churches do. He would stand up and there would be a reading. He would call you to turn. Usually in the back of the hymnal, there was responsive readings, and he would read and then the people would read. He would read and the people would read. Many of the Psalms, that was what they did. It was, it was an active worship. So remember this. This is important before we get into the text. This is a song. This is poetry. This is the way we have to read it. So I'm going to try to help us do that today and re recalibrate our minds. Remember, the Bible is more than literature, but it is never less than that. And so let us think about this as we look at verse 1. This is a, a poem. This is a song. Verse 1, "'May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble.'" May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. 
And now, so these verse numbers is going to help us understand that there are groups and even stanzas that we must read together for it to make sense to us. We see that this is a prayer not only of the king, but for the king. The people of God are interceding in these first few verses for their king. Intercessory prayer is is a biblical thing from beginning to end. This is prayer for the king before he goes into battle. And they are praying to Yahweh. You see that Lord, that's Yahweh. Help us to understand it. Look at the second line of verse 1. He says, may the Lord answer you. And then the second line says, may the name of the God of Jacob. This is who Yahweh is. He is the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. He is the I am of the Exodus. This is who they're praying to. And notice the you. You see the you there in the first line? That's the king. This is the Lord's people praying for to Yahweh for their king. This is the reality. You see it in verse 1. There was a day of distress, a day of trouble. That was their reality. And because the king was leading the people into battle, it was their reality as well. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles. I want to try to help put the setting in your mind for us this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We don't know the exact battle that, that David is talking about, and this is not it, but this is just a perfect context of application, exactly what David is doing here when he would sing and the people would pray this psalm. Psalms, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Look with me at verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. So this was this particular context. Look down at verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the battle of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, verse 6, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Verse 7, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and give it forever into the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Do you see what happens? What is he doing? The Moabites and the Ammonites are there. They're coming. And what does Jehoshaphat do? He calls a worship service. And he prays to God and he orients the people towards their God for the battle. Before the battle, the people pray, especially in their times of distress. The king had a need, and so the people are being directed and are directing their prayers toward the only one that can meet the need of their king. Again, verse 1, here's what we want to do. Try to find the the heart of the petition to start with, and then what the petition is about. What are they, what are they asking for? So look at these two lines. You've got to put this together for it to, for it to really grab it. May the Lord answer you, first line, answer. Second line, look at it. May the name of our God of Jacob protect you, answer, and protect. This is what he is doing. This means he is requesting, they're requesting of God to answer David's prayer. What's the prayer? You're going to see it in verse 6 and 9. It's victory. He wants to win the battle. This is the context. He says respond. This word of protect is to elevate. In the midst of your distress, answer the king's 
prayer for victory. Lift him over. Allow him to see it and lead him to victory. Look at verse 2. May he send you, remember use David, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Now, again, look at their petition. Send on the first line, give on the second. Send and give. This is the idea of calling on Yahweh, that the help is there. The help is there in the very presence of God. Do you see that? Sanctuary means holiness. Synonymous with the word Zion. Both of these work together. The help is there. It's in the very presence of God. All God needs to do is dispatch it. That's what they're praying for. God dispatched this prayer. What they need, this word help and support. Put them together. Sustained assistance. That's what that means. Dispatch divine aid. This is the people's only hope. Hope is not in their king. Their hope is in Yahweh. Verse 3, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Now remember, this is the people praying to Yahweh for David. The your there is David. So now pick up the petition. You see the first line, remember. Well, send a second. If you were there, I would talk to you. I'd be trying to get you to talk back to me. Regard. You see that? Remember and regard. Remember is not a passive thing in the Bible. This is a verb. <laughs> it means to keep something. They're praying, God, remember his petition. And remember your promises. Keep this in your mind and regard it. That means to accept it. That means to do something. What, is, what are they calling on Yahweh to remember and to do something with? It says his offerings, the second line, his burnt sacrifices. Now, what is that about? Are they saying that David needed to offer an, a, a sacrifice for, their, for his sin? No. No, you see, before a battle, this was the normal action of the people of God and the kings. Before they went to battle, they would gather the people and they would offer sacrifices. It was not for atonement. That was for two reasons. Devotion and submission. Devotion to their one Lord the one that would fight the battle for them in submission to their Lord. Do you remember Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13, what Saul did? Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel and he didn't. He offered to sacrifice himself. You remember it cost him the kingdom because he did that. Why? Because that was an act of rebellion, of autonomy against his God and not a submission to his Lord. He lost the kingdom for that. David was offering a sacrifice, and they're saying, Lord, remember his dedication, his submission. This is not a sacrifice for atonement. Listen, this is a sacrifice for grace. He's saying, Lord, we are devoted to you. Remember his devotion. Remember his submission and show him grace. Verse 4. Oh, you see how important context is to the Bible. Can't you see someone grabbing verse 4 at the beginning of their day? Just imagine you. this comes up in your, in your little devotion card that you need to read this this morning and you take it out of context. Let me read it for you. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. 
Now, without a context, that's a dangerous verse, isn't it? We've got to go back. What's the context? There's a battle fixing to happen. David's mighty men are there behind him, surrounding him. The chariots are ready. The armies are there. And God's people are praying. And the people say, may he grant your heart. Really, desire is added by the interpreter for our benefit. The text really just says, may he grant your heart and fulfill your plans. If the king is about to fight a battle, what do you think is on his mind? The battle plans are on his mind. Victory is on his mind. He said, fulfill his plans, God. The The enemy has made a plan. We have made a plan. Lord, give us the victory. Fulfill plans. What is our battle plan, brothers and sisters? Has God given us one? Do we make up our own? No, the Great Commission is our battle plan. Until we go to Him, we have a plan. There is not another one. We're supposed to make disciples to help people follow Christ, no matter what it costs us. This is our plan. He had His. What is your desire? We have been closed up together for a long time, haven't we? And it is very likely right now that we have been battling each other instead of joining the battle plan of God. And the devil loves, and our own flesh loves, to keep us in skirmishes off to the side and keep our eyes off of the battle. You see, there's a preparedness that comes through prayer, and we can see it in verse 5, this anticipation of victory. Remember, three lines in in this stanza here. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill your petitions. It seems strange, doesn't it? That we as Christians day in and day out as we get up and eat our breakfast and pray and eat our lunch and pray and gather for supper and pray that we can oftentimes lose the Lord in our prayers. It just becomes our our routine, our habit, like brushing our teeth. No, brothers and sisters, not if you understand there's a real battle. Not when you get up to brush your teeth and go to war. And so they, again, look at the petition to the Lord in the name. You see, wasn't the king who had the power. He wasn't the source. He wasn't going to provide the victory. The, The source was the name. The power came from the name. The victory came from the name. May we shout, you see? Oh, this is so important. Salvation here means victory. In verse here and in verse 9 is victory. Salvation is not merely escaping from hell. Salvation is about living in victory. Christ died to bring victory not only in our future life, but in the one we're living right now. They're praying for God to set up our banners, God. You see that? A lot to say about that. The people of God, even as they were divided by tribes, would have banners so that you could distinguish them. When the battle plans were drawn and everybody was in their place, they would have colors and flags and banners so that they would know who is who and where their people are. But he has a specific thing in mind here. Look with me at Exodus 17. This is the best place I know that grabs sort of the heart of of what's being prayed for here by the people. Exodus 17 and verse 
15. It says this, And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, verse 16, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek. From generation to generation. This is what they're praying. They're asking the Lord. Set up a sign of victory. The enemy. Here's what they're. The anticipation is growing. You can see the faith and confidence coming. As, as it grows. They say Lord. Our, we pray that our adversary would be slain. And you would set up a sign of flag of victory over that. Over them. This is what they are praying for. You see. The faithful go to war in Jesus name. He is the warrior. He is one. As Pastor Micah has already told us, He is our King of kings and Lord our lords. So here's just a very practical question at the end of verse 5. He prays. They're praying for the King. Fulfill our petition. Can I ask you something today? How are you interceding for each other in prayer? We are a part of each other's preparation. God's people not only pray for themselves, pray for each other. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1 and verse 11 informs us how we should be praying for each other. It says this, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. This is how we prepare each other. Prayer is preparation. And as we pray... God prepares us. How do you know? It's faith. As we pray, our faith begins to grow. The people of the Lord are deployed for battle in confident dependence on the Lord. Those are our two words, confidence and dependence. Now verse 6 to 8, the prayer changes. Now David prays. Look at verse 6. This is David now. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. His anointed. Who is that? It's David. <laughs> I didn't, David says, you, I didn't choose myself. God chose me. He anointed me, King. He's made me promises. The Lord will save The Lord will save. The Lord, he's saying by that, the Lord will bring the victory. Look at 1 Samuel if you want to, or just remember maybe with me. 1 Samuel 17, you remember the situation. There was a really big guy standing in front of David. Do you remember Goliath? Had a whole nation behind him, a lot at stake in that battle. David was just a little boy. You remember what he said? He says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This is the very source of the confident prayer here. As David begins to pray, the people have prayed for David. Now David, as we can see, his confidence in his Lord. You see, when the enemy comes against you or against the Lord's people, against his church, they come against him. When they defy you, they defy him. That's what he's saying. His confidence is the Lord will answer. That's that remembering coming back up. He will answer means that he's going to hear and he's going to act. 
He's going to use his right hand. Do you see that? In all through Scripture, but especially in the Old Testament, that points to the mighty hand of God and his warring activity on behalf of his own people. You could see it over and over again, but you see here the very clarity of where the help comes from, where the answers are going to come from. It comes from where God is. Where is God? God is in the heavens. He's in his heavenly home. You see, now we get some clarity that the temple, the tabernacle, and then later the temple, and later Jerusalem, the very city of God, was a symbol of the presence of God abiding with his people. It's just simple, a symbol of God's home. Mount Zion connects to heaven and earth, and one day when Christ comes, there will be a new Jerusalem. This is what he is pointing to. How does he know? How can he be so confident? Well, David's Godward confidence points him to a Godward dependence. This is an important aspect of our faith. It's where we can oftentimes lose it all. And see, if we don't have this Godward dependence, we will say, the battle is mine. I, have, I know what I know. I know God's word. The battle is mine. I'm going to pull myself by my own bootstraps and fight. Here's the message this morning. The battle is the Lord's. Here's what David is saying. David's praying this. Verse 7. And listen, verse 7 and 8 have to be understood together. I'm going to read them together. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord, our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Do you see it? Look at the first two lines. The first line of verse 7 goes with the first line of verse 8. The second line of verse 7 goes with the second line of verse 8. Some trust. Second line, we trust. Here's the reality, brothers and sisters. Everybody trusts in something. Everybody is trusting in someone this morning. The question is what it is. He's simply saying some trust in everything. You've got to understand the backdrop. What's around David? His mighty men are around him. The chariots are there. The men are armed to the teeth. And here's what David proclaims. Some trust in that. Some do. Our enemies are. They're trusting in all of this. Look at the first line of verse 8. And they will collapse and fall. That's what he's teaching them today. That means to be bowed down. To be thrown down. That means that those who trust in themselves, those who trust in the stuff of this world will suffer not only defeat but humiliation. That's what those words mean. But we, you see that? But we trust. We trust in what? Oh, when I read this, it made me think of Philippians. Do you remember it? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We trust in the Lord. That's what he's saying. All of that around him, he said, we don't trust in this. There's no victory in this. Look at verse 8. I love this. This was for me one of the most beautiful pictures. It just overwhelmed me last night. Verse 8. We trust, therefore we rise and stand upright. You know what that means? David says, I will endure. I will rise because I am surrounded. That's what that means. 
stand upright means that he is surrounded in the battle. Not by his mighty men, for he puts no trust in them, but by his Lord, the same Lord that killed Goliath, will bring the victory. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is the self-existent, independent, immutable, ever-present, timeless, omniscient God. He is the I Am. Jesus Christ, according to Colossians, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus Christ is the one who sustains all things, created all things, over all dominions and powers. Jesus Christ is before all things, and all things hold together by Him. You see, this morning, the object of your trust makes all the difference. This is David's pre-battle confession. The battle is not mine, it's the Lord's. Second Chronicles, I don't know if you still have that mark. Just listen to it if you don't. The worship service continues. Remember that was Jehoshaphat, the war is about to happen. Same context is here. A Levite stands up during the worship. and Here's what he says. Listen all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Amen. This is what David is pronouncing. The battle is not yours, it's God's. Psalms 33, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great might. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by his great might, it cannot rescue. The battle is the Lord's. You see, This is critical this morning. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. A confidence that is not dependent is just arrogance. A spiritual confidence, a knowledge of God's Word with not a dependence on the God of the Word is just arrogant. Faith that is not humble is not biblical faith. David and the Lord's people see this. They see the power of humility demonstrated in prayer the strength of dependence demonstrated in faith in their Lord. I love this picture. And Pastor Micah has already brought us to this. Let me remind you, if the Lord surrounds you, who can knock you over? That's what verse 8 is saying. David said, I'm surrounded by sovereign grace. My past proves it. And so does it prove it in your life. We are surrounded by the grace of God. Who can lay anything against you? Remember Romans 8, Pastor Micah quoted it. Who can put any charge? Who can separate you? Answer nobody. Christ died. Christ adopted you. Christ saved you. Christ promised you. He would never leave you nor lose you. We trust in Him. And to this, the people then erupt in verse 9 and says, Oh Lord, save the King. May he answer us when we call. Question, what happened next? The battle happened next. They got up from their worship service and they went to war. But they did not go to war in their own strength. Yes, they had their armor and they pulled out their swords. Yes, they got in their chariots. Yes, the mighty men fought. But they fought with the power that God provided. What is our battlefield? 
We battle for the very souls of men, for your families, for your marriages, for his church. But this kingdom is fought. It's a spiritual battle with spiritual war. It must be fought with by spiritual people. And listen today, somebody needs to hear this. You cannot win this battle alone. The question this morning then is, are you ready? Are you prepared? I'm afraid that many of us are saying, prepared for what? As I told you before, and I will say it again, Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is our battle cry. We go to the nations beginning right where we live, beginning right in the homes that we live, and we make followers of Christ. Are you a follower of Christ? Do you know how to make a follower of Christ? Can I ask you, are you prepared for that? How do you know whether you're prepared? One very simple question. How's your prayer life today? That's what he's pointing us to. I've already asked myself that question. This is the objective test of preparedness. It's not the knowledge you know. It's not the scriptures that even that you can quote. It's your prayer life. How is it today? Because if it is weak, then we are not prepared. The war was before them and they stopped and prayed. The plans were made and they stopped and prayed. The armies are trained. The chariots are maintained, but they stopped and prayed. Because if they did not pray, they were not prepared. We plan, we budget, we strategize, but we are not praying. Second Chronicles 7.14, I have seen stuck in many of people's yard. And we try to apply this text to the United States of America so we do not have to apply it to ourselves. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. This is speaking to a people who is called by the name of the Lord and have submitted themselves to follow Him and to obey Him and to worship Him with their whole life. That's who He's talking to. And it is those people who have a tendency to trust in what the world trusts in, to, their, to the world's provision, to their strength. We have a tendency, even as the Lord's people, to be disoriented or weary or to adopt a peacetime mentality when God says, this is the time we war. You see, it is the church that must repent. It is the church that must pray. It is the people of God who must turn from their wicked ways and call on His name. Can I ask you a question? How much news have you watched this week versus how much time you have prayed? I had to answer that question in a very sobering way. And see, that is the context of 2 Chronicles 7.14. Psalms 121 verse 1 asks a good question. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It's a good question this morning, isn't it? Where does your help come from? I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, that right now we're answering it government. And so can I just remind us today, because this is the context we're in, Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Brothers and sisters, if you got a stimulus check or if you did not, 
You got one due to the grace of God. Did you thank Him for it? If you have a business to go to to open up to provide work for other people, or if you have a place to go to work to tomorrow, or if you do not, it is due to the grace of God. Allow God today to bring you to a point of gratefulness for His amazing grace. Where is your confidence, you see? Well, Psalms 121 didn't leave us hanging with the question, where does my help come from? It says, my help comes from the Lord, the one who made everything. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of our Lord. Brothers and sisters, as a close today, could I just remind you today, your battle belongs to the Lord. Trust in Him today. He is mighty to save. Let's pray together. Lord, we now come to you and we thank you for your word and for this comforting word that you have given your people that settles them and orients them and gives them both confidence and dependence on you for the battle. Oh God, there's going to be a battle. Many of us are dreading Monday because of the battle that's awaiting us or we are in it right now. And Lord, would you settle your people? Would you comfort them? Would you make them aware that they are surrounded by sovereign grace? By you, a God who cannot change and does not fail and never grows weary. Lift up your people today. Surround them. Help them. Answer them. Equip them. Drive us to our knees for the battle. And lift us up and the power of the Holy Spirit to use the power of your word to engage the battle. To this we have been called. And now, Lord, we respond in worship and adoration to you, God, in your amazing, sustaining, unending grace for your people. And we thank you in the only name given among men whereby we might be saved and have our hope. And his name is Jesus. And it is his name we pray. Amen.